what I'm talking about. The, th- the times that I nail it, I'm like, well, that was Jesus, right? It's something new. That's not what I'm inclined to be, what I'm leaning towards, what my flesh does, what's easy for me, but something regenerated in me, something born anew in me when the spirit lives in me, when I make space for him and I don't crowd him out with my own junk. There's a new thing. Behold, I am doing a new thing, he says. This is Study with Friends, a weekly dive into the answers and questions we find in the Bible, the church, and the broader Christian faith. I'm Paige, and today we'll be learning about kingdom citizenship as we'll be starting a new series focusing on the Sermon on the Mount as found in Matthew 5-7. through This series will be different in that it will be an eight-week study with five daily programs to help you study the Sermon on the Mount in a much deeper and more reflective way. If you want the study material or more information about this series or other resources we provide, you can find them all on our website, studywithfriends.org. Now, let's begin our study. So, Sermon on the Mount, week one, day five. This day is dedicated to our response to the sermon. Interesting that we put that in the front instead of at the end. Why am I putting this down in front of you before you move further down the path? It frames it. Inevitably, Scripture touches us at different points, touches us positively, and we are in agreement and alignment, and we relate, and we're like, yes, this is exactly what I needed in this moment. But there are other times when it's a little bit more difficult for us to digest, and we want to place it off to the side or express disagreement. And so it's helpful to know that regardless of where you feel as you encounter the Scripture, that part is what you really need to set aside. The feeling is not important. It is to, re- to be reminded of this is the objective, this is where you are, and this is where um, you need to be. So kind of cast your feeling aside or, or process those feelings, but come back yeah. to, this, yeah. to this place. So if I'm hearing you right, you're saying we should be intentional about setting our mind right mm-hmm. as we walk forward. Yep, we need to be grounded in it. Earlier in the week, you said something. It was about humility and how, how we lead and you said, okay, but if I lead with love, and I'm thinking about that now because I'm, I'm thinking, what is my intention? Like we're very reactionary people. We're not always proactive, but I think we can gain so much more if we take a proactive mindset to scripture. And I certainly think that that's true in the case of the sermon because we should decide. That's why we wanted to spend time this week on How does it fit with the rest of the Bible? Is it really useful to me? Is it authentic? So that we can sit comfortably in a position and an orientation to the sermon that says, I receive it as truth and as teaching and as convicting and as edifying and as blessing. So I want us to think about our response to the sermon and decide on our response to the sermon before we actually study the sermon. Mm -hmm. I know that, again, might seem a little upside down, but it's about setting your mind. So you have a relationship in your life that's really important to you and a subject that needs to come up inside that relationship that's also really important. Are you going to run into that and be like, let me tell you what I'm thinking right now and all the the things I'm feeling as I'm feeling them? Or are you going to take a few days, maybe a week, a little longer maybe, to pray 
and ask God to set the hearts for both of you and order your words and please bless this time. Like you're intentional about entering into that Mm -hmm. conversation. You're saying, let me be right. Let me not let my own feelings run away with me. Let me be intentional in how I approach this. And if the Bible is a conversation with us, and it is, then we should be intentional as we enter into this conversation mm-hmm. that is the Sermon on the Mount with Jesus and say, let me be right-minded. So that's why I wanted to put it here. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. So let's talk about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Because I, because I wrote it, I get, to, I get to decide the things that I think are really impactful. <laughs> <laughs> so does anybody know who Dietrich Bonhoeffer is? He was a German theologian, and uh, during the um, persecution of the Jews, he also was put in prison because of his stand. He suffered along with the Jews. Did you, were you familiar with him before? Yeah, okay. So all throughout the study that I wrote, there are several authors that I leaned heavily on. And Bonhoeffer, I believe, is pretty authoritative on the Sermon on the Mount because he wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And not the whole book, but the first chunk of that book is about the Sermon on the Mount. And it's his theology on how do we receive this. And the reason that I think it's authoritative is he's in the midst of persecution and war and horrifying, terrible things that Please, God, you and I will never experience or understand on that level. And so when we get to, if I may say, when we get to squirming and whining about how hard it is to follow what Jesus said to do in the sermon, I think it's good to have Bonhoeffer in view. And so I do raise him up a few times through the study, and I quote him a lot when I think it's useful. In this case, right as we sort of pick through our response and our our mindset towards the sermon, Uh, I'm reminded of what Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. Have you ever heard that expression, cheap grace? That's cheap grace. Mm -hmm. Okay. If you've heard it, um, do you want to explain what what that means? (laughs) No. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Well, when when you say cheap, um, I think of something that's tawdry. It's not up to standard. Also, that it's inexpensive, mm-hmm. and the concept of cheap grace is it doesn't cost us a whole lot. Yes. And the idea is we can keep on sinning. We don't need to change our behavior because we'll be forgiven. And um, that's not exactly what the Sermon in the Mount is all about. Or the gospel. Or Right. <laughs> right. It's, yeah, that's uh, perfect. We are to change. According to Bonhoeffer, cheap grace is a denial of the cost of discipleship, the cost of following Jesus, and the demand, not again for these behaviors that we, want, we don't want to give up, but the demand for repentance and obedience, that we would give those things up in our heart. We've talked already about how strong the flesh is and how we struggle with the things. Some would say grace is big enough and I don't have to make all that many changes because God did the thing and Jesus died and all of it's covered anyway. So why do I have to work that hard? That's what Bonhoeffer meant by cheap grace. Is that track? Yes. So I'm glad you had never heard of it because then you're giving me some signals as to whether we're explaining it well. And so that's what he was exploring in his book, the cost of discipleship, the cost. So the, opposite of cheap grace is costly grace and Bonhoeffer sort of asserts that costly grace is the grace that's worth 
something. It's worth something. Mm -hmm. Do you understand what he's sort of putting forward there? Let me read uh, what he says directly from his book. Um, Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline. Communion without confession. Absolution without personal confession. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship. Grace without the cross. Grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. Basically, he's arguing that grace is not a license to sin, but the power to overcome sin and live a life of obedience and righteousness. And so the reason that I wanted to really drill into this is because of sin. We've, we've peppered this in already this week um, with respect to this sermon that we're about to read. This prescription for kingdom living is not easy. It is attainable. So, Marilyn, you gave a definition of cheap. You said inexpensive, not up to the standard. That's good. Uh, what are your definitions of cheap, Jan and Fatima? Um, I would say, um, similar to Marilyn, low in value. Mm -hmm. Easily obtained. Oh, yes. Good. That's Can really be good. discarded. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If it was cheap, Easily. I'm not going to be so worried about it mm -hmm. at all. You don't exert care over it. Yeah. Mm. That was a powerful quote. Cheap grace is and all those juxtapositions. Mm -hmm. um, but what I, I want to hear your um, thoughts on, because we've said the Sermon on the Mount is about discipleship. What Bonhoeffer said is one of the things cheap grace is grace without discipleship. How might that be something that's negative in someone's life? We just kind of said, oh, people want to have the best of both worlds. They want to be saved, but also want to keep doing the things that they want to do. That might feel positive. How would that be? How might that be negative? I think that discipling has two benefits as the person going out and discipling towards others. It reminds you of our nature prior to receiving mm -hmm. salvation. Mm -hmm. So you're constantly aware of the cost and where you are, but you're also benefiting the person or persons that you are discipling too. Number one, you're leading by example. Number two, hopefully, those discipleship efforts lead them in the direction towards they receive grace, they receive God's mercy, they receive salvation mm -hmm. on their own. And whether you become aware of that or not is not the true desired outcome. Mm -hmm. You're not looking here to collect in, in your bag a number of people that you brought to Christ. That doesn't matter. It, it's all counted towards God's mm -hmm. army. That's so good. Thank you. Other thoughts on how grace without discipleship or cheap grace might not be as appealing as it looks like it is on the surface. You shouldn't keep it to yourself, God's grace. You have to tell somebody. It doesn't bless you for you to lock it up. And like you said, you don't disciple, keep track, to keep score, because many that you disciple, probably most that you disciple, you may never see again. But you have to leave them with a taste of heaven, like a taste of it. You know, so the next guy might be the one to bring them home. So it's it cheapens the grace when you don't do with it what it's intended to do. It's not just for your grace. Mm -hmm. It's for everybody's grace that yeah. you come in contact. 100% true. Mm -hmm. I want to shift our thinking a little bit because what I want us, I want us to get a little more personal. The sermon is speaking to us. This is our discipleship that Jesus is concerned with. Yes, we disciple other people. We're trying to do that right now. I'm trying to do that with the words I wrote down. It's the Great Commission. This is not what 
that's about. The sermon is about Jesus discipling us. And Bonhoeffer is saying, there's a cost. He's asking for you to commit. He's commanding you to commit. What I'm asking is, how do we respond to the sermon? That's about us in our hearts and minds and lives. What are some ways it might be costly to respond rightly to the sermon? <laughs> it takes effort, number one. To respond rightly means a change in our behavior. And we're very ingrained in our habits, and it's not an easy thing. Uh, you, we really have to concentrate on changing our behavior, and we really need to ask the power of the Holy Spirit to mm -hmm. help us do that. So you're saying it's easier to live in the flesh mm -hmm. than live like kingdom dwellers. Particularly if we believe that it doesn't matter because Jesus died for my sins, and so I'm, I'm okay. Just rely on his salvation without having, as you said, to commit. We have not made a commitment to change mm -hmm. and follow Jesus and what he has prescribed for our living. So it's almost like you're saying it takes discipline. Yes. Which is the root word of... Disciple. Oh, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> and discipline is costly. You're giving up something yes. that perhaps... You enjoy, you love, even if it is sinful. It, it's a part, it's, it's your habit, it's ingrained within you. Yeah. And that doesn't always feel good, even if it is part of what you desire to do. It calls for self-denial. Mm. And that's, that's not my nature, you know. I, I try not to always live for me, but, you know, it's, it's human nature to live for yourself. Mm. And it costs us ourselves, mm. you know, to put others in front of our, our others' needs in front of our own, to live the way Jesus wants us to live, it costs us our, you know, what we're used to and what the way we want to live. Oh, that's really good. Um, just that uh, if we can, it probably isn't right they call it a cost, but you got to spend a lot more time on your knees because what the sermon requires of you, your flesh wants no part of. Which is exactly what, what she said, you're mm -hmm. saying it in a different way and a new facet, and I'm glad for it. It's dis denying self and right. de denying, exactly. reducing myself and elevating God. And yes. that, of course, happens on our yes. knees because we don't want to do that. So we have to submit. He kind of gives you the recipe when he tells you to humble, humble yourself. Because if you humble yourself, you can deny yourself and you can sacrifice you can let the other guy win you can take the loss and keep moving so he kind of gives you the recipe if you're obedient then you can do what's required of you and focusing first on what he's done for us mm. right so this is the interplay between the grace and the cost first we're taking the grace and we're not taking it as a cheap lower standard but actually we're taking it as it cost him everything why shouldn't it cost me something so we have that mindset and that's our previously determined response mm -hmm. to the sermon is that the question you're asking now about the cost is that the same as uh, are you talking about sharing in his suffering sure that's part of it that's in the sermon blessed are those who suffer blessed are those who are persecuted so for sure that's part of it what are you thinking thinking about paul in philippians when he talks about um sharing in his suffering and how 
He just wanted to know Christ and the power of the resurrection. And he wanted to share in his suffering. And he just, it was all so passionate as you read it. And you read it and you go, what does he mean, share in his suffering? Does he mean getting beat? And, but that's not all he means. And we, we always want to slap something onto the text and be like, because we want to know. What does he mean? It's a good right. question. But when it happens, then you know exactly what he meant. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, we want to know in advance. What does he mean? Let me be prepared. Let me be in control of my flesh. Let me know. Mm. But then when it happens to us, we're like, oh, that's what Paul was talking about. Mm. I'm suffering. Jesus suffered. We share in that. And I can be confident that he is a God who understands my suffering. Mm. Right? So responding in advance to whatever it is that's going to happen saying i'm going to set my mind that he is for me the scriptures are for my good my sanctification is for my good the pruning is for my good i'm going to set my mind in advance that that's the case so that when it happens and comes upon me i already know what to do with it or even count it all joy yep like <laughs> yes james says and the sermon says okay there's another person who i reference in this day of study his name is herman bovink does anybody have any idea who herman bovink is sorry sounds like a dutch name yeah. it is so he has a another sort of partnering thought about God's grace to Bonhoeffer. He believed that God's grace uh, is not just sort of transactional, but transformational, right? So let's just sit with that for a second. Cheap grace would be, you have this and I take that and that's my transaction. Mm-hmm. Costly grace is transformative. So I just want to draw some parallels between Bovink and Bonhoeffer. Transformation, Bovink also calls regeneration, So we see that all through the scriptures. And that's a very systematic theology kind of idea, uh, regeneration. But we've all heard it um, colloquially said, we are born again. Okay, so that's regeneration Mm -hmm. is a big word. Born again is our Christian culture, familiar concept for it. Are you tracking with me? Mm -hmm. Okay. So what Bobbick asserts that God's grace changes the very nature of humanity and our natural world, that the work of Jesus Christ enables us to rightly respond to our salvation. This is what we've been talking about all along, that the sermon is not a behavior modification program. It is the prescription, the standard that Jesus says, I have, I bled and died to give you the ability to be this that makes sense Mm -hmm. so this is about transformation regeneration and really reversing the nature of humanity we've talked about that but i'm just putting a sharper point on it you talked about it's hard costly grace means that i have to overcome my flesh we talked about discipline we talked about suffering i have to overcome those but let us never say i overcome them on my own i overcome them by the power of christ the blood of christ that lives in me and gives me the strength by Christ's strength, by Christ alone, I'm able to live like a kingdom citizen. That's what Jesus is saying. Here are the rules of my government. Here are the standards for my citizenship. You are already a citizen, so behave as if you are one. Mm. And that's what I love about Bob Inc. He, you know, through the process of regeneration, being born again, 
right? Um, who was the Pharisee? His name started with an N. Nicodemus. Thank you. Jesus was like, well, you have to be. And he was like, how could I be returned to my mother's womb? <laughs> so we understand this regeneration, and that gives us the power to make real lasting changes in response to the sermon. And let me develop it just a little bit. Because of Christ, we are restored into the relationship that God wanted with us all along. That's what Bob Inc. is saying. He restores. You're right to think our nature is sinful. So when you say he restores the natural order of things, and we're as Christians, we're conditioned to say the natural is bad. But go back to the design that God had in the garden. The first Adam and Jesus is the second Adam, the better Adam, who comes and restores what God had in mind relationally all along. So your condition right now is not the natural order of things. It is our nature. It is our flesh because we are in a sin nature because of the fall. But what God is restoring is the garden, Mm. his creative nature, his design. He's resolving it. He's regenerating our human nature and making it kingdom nature. That's what Bob Inc. is saying. This is not me muscling my way through a checklist that Jesus gave me. I'm not grasping at the Beatitudes. I am already blessed. I am blessed. I don't have to go try to be that person. I am that person. Now behave like that person. Let the spirit that lives in me shine through, shine beyond the flesh that lives in me. Let me be salt. Let me be light. Let me be perfected in Christ. Therefore, like your father is perfect, be perfect. None of the sermon makes sense. We don't go a single inch forward without understanding it is all about grace, costly grace, not cheap grace that says, I'll take everything you have to give and give you nothing in return. Costly grace that carves out the junk that I so love to hold on to. The Bible says you are not your own. You were bought at a price. This is us receiving that and saying, I am not my own. You bought me, take me, all of me. And I was going to say to restore me to where we were the day before. In the garden. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're right. Right. The day before. Restorative. When he gave us the command and we were still in obedience. Exactly. Exactly. The last line of that paragraph where we were, God's grace restores the natural order and brings about the redemption of both humanity and the natural world. Wow. That's a lot of love to not want to throw you away because you certainly didn't deserve Mm -hmm. it, but to say, I want to restore you back to the original blueprint yes because it was perfect i want to end with um a john stock quote which actually is in day three but i want to use it for the end of our first week and certainly the end of our day discussing our response to the sermon and john stott says the standards of the sermon are neither readily attainable by everyone nor totally unattainable by anyone To put them beyond anybody's reach is to ignore the purpose of Christ's sermon. To put them within everybody's reach is to ignore the reality of human sin. They are attainable, all right, but only by those who have experienced new birth in Christ. Let's pray it out. God, thank you for this uh, week of study. Thank you for the time you've given us to do it. Uh, Let it be a blessing to us and those around us. Let it take root and grow in our hearts, minds, and spirits. God, be big. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hi again, it's Paige. Thanks again for joining us in our study today. We hope that you found some great truths to apply to your life and encouragement for your faith as you continue to mature in your walk with Jesus. 
We here at Study With Friends are modeled more like a small group. We want to encourage you to continue your growth through the local church. If you don't have a church home, we encourage you to find one where the Bible is taught in every situation. Study With Friends is a completely donor-supported ministry. And if we have blessed you, would you consider donating to us? Monthly partnerships are particularly helpful, but no amount is too small. We'd also love to stay connected. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. You can stream us on the go wherever you are with iTunes, Spotify, or Stitcher. And now you can watch the ladies on YouTube. If all that seems to be a bit too much for you, feel free to email us. You can find our email address on our website, studywithfriends.org. While you're there, you can check out a myriad of other resources we have that are all free for you. We hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next time when we study with friends.